This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Late Boomers, our podcast guide to creating your third act with style, power, and impact. Hi, I'm Kathy Worthington. And I'm Mary Elkins. Join us as we bring you conversations with successful entrepreneurs, entertainers, and people with vision who are making a difference in the world. Everyone has a story, and we'll take you along for the ride on each interview, recounting the journey our guests have taken to get where they are, inspiring you to create your own path to success. Let's get started. I'm Kathy Worthington. Welcome to our latest episode of Late Boomers. Today, our guest is songwriter, entrepreneur, and author Dave Combs. And I'm Mary Elkins. Dave has four decades of experience and has written over 120 songs and created 15 albums of soothing, relaxing, instrumental piano music. Welcome, Dave. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Oh, good. Tell us about your background and how you came to write your first song, the very popular Rachel's song. Well, I am—I uh, was born into a musical family in East Tennessee. Now, as if you're going to live in Tennessee, it is a state requirement that you play some instrument. <laughs> really? <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, yeah. Nashville, Tennessee is Music City, USA. Well, all mm-hmm. all Tennesseans. I'm just joking, of course, but most Tennesseans do, in fact, play some instrument. Well, my mother and my father both played the piano. My grandmother, Combs, she was born in 1894, and she was only four foot eight, but she could play that old pump organ, which was before you used electricity. You'd pump it with your feet, and she could make it make really beautiful music. And she loved to play an instrument called the auto harp. It's a stringed Mm -hmm. instrument with chords. You may or know have seen one. Mm-hmm. But she loved to play that and, and, and sing as well. So I grew up around music all my life. And even in you know grammar school, we had our, our Mr. Holland's opus that came around to our school and taught us oh. all the old, the old campfire songs. And in high school, we had our own musicals. And, and in college, I was a math major, physics minor. So I was a very technical-oriented, analytical kind of person. But I also loved music. So I sang in the university choir. and. And I directed my home church choir, actually, as a part-time job, working my way through college. So music has been a part of my life since the very beginning. And I started my career as a computer programmer at Western Electric, which later became AT&T. And so I'm, I'm very technically oriented in terms of my career. But my music has always been kind of the underbed of all the things that I enjoy doing. And in 1981, I sat down at my piano one evening, and after I had just freshly tuned my piano, it was a 100-year-old piano, and it wouldn't, wouldn't hold its tune, and so I had to buy me a, a tuning hammer so I could even make it sound halfway decent. And after I tuned it freshly tuned, I would always sit down at my piano and play something, play something mm-hmm. pretty. And so I sat down this time, and I, I put my fingers on the keyboard, and just started playing. And I played this song. And it was as if to me, this song had existed for eternity because I played it from the beginning to the end. 
and didn't even think about what it was or anything. I just played it. Wow. Mm-hmm. Well, a couple of days later, my wife Linda came home from work from Wachovia, and she uh, came in the door and she says, Dave, after she kissed me, hello, of course. And then she <laughs> says, <laughs> she says, Dave, what's the name of this song that I've been humming in my head all? You know how you get an ear, uh, ear what well, they call it, an earworm? earworm. Yeah. <laughs> she said, I've been humming this all day long. What is it? What's the name of it? And she hummed a little bit of it. And I said, well, Linda, it doesn't have a name. And she says, what? You play it all the time on the piano and it, it, you don't, it doesn't have a name? I said, no, it's just something I made up. Well, she got all excited and said, well, gosh, have you written it down? I said, no, I've got it up here and you know, it's not going anywhere. She said, no, 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 it's something might happen to you and that song would be lost forever. So mm-hmm. I finally did write it down, the notes and the chords on a piece of paper, put it in my piano bench. And I would play it, you know, every once in a while for her and for, for enjoyment and for friends, whatever. And two years later, some good friends of ours had a little baby girl and her name was Rachel. Mm. And at her christening service, uh, we're sitting there, and I hadn't planned to do this. this is, we're just sitting there as godparents of, of this little baby girl. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the formal part of the service, I punched Linda, I said, hey, what, if, what about playing this little song tune now that we've been trying to think of a name for forever? How about if I play it here? And so she said, okay, that's a good idea. So I went and asked the family and the preacher if, if, we could, if I could play this song. And there was a beautiful grand piano sitting at the front in the middle platform of the church. So I went over to the piano, sat down, put my hands on the keyboard and started playing this tune. And about halfway through the tune, I hear this <laughs> sniffling in the, in the audience. You know what that meant? People were really moved by the music. And I noticed that my eyes were starting to leak a little bit too. You know, there was a, it was very emotional. This, the, the tune and the occasion, and, and just, it just all was very powerful emotions. I finished playing the song, and even before the notes completely died away, I looked over at little Rachel in the arms of her mother, and I said, from now on, this song will be called Rachel's Song in Her Honor. Oh, that is and sweet, I, I, I still get chills thinking about it because I can mentally, I can go right back there just like that to that occasion. Yeah. It was that powerful. Oh. But that was how it got its name and it stuck and it was so such a beautiful connection with a, a, a new life yeah. of a beautiful baby girl, a Rachel's song. And so that was in two years later. Now, three years later after that, I was in Nashville, Tennessee on a business trip and I wanted to find a studio that I could find to get a demo recording made of Rachel's song. Now, I'll, you know, I can play it, but I, I wanted to have a professional sounding recording. You know how yeah. professional demos by Nashville musicians are another, another thing. They're just yeah. way up here in terms of quality. Mm-hmm. And so I drove around Nashville, found what looked like a studio. It was a, a, a barn looking building on Roy Acuff Place and the name out front with a, a big uh, mock-up of, a, of a, a water wheel, like, a, like an old mill. And the, the name on the marquee said, The Music Mill. And I thought, okay, well, maybe this is the studio. So I pulled in the parking lot, went over to the glass <laughs> door. There was, a, there was a man sitting at a desk. So I knocked on the door. It was about 6 o'clock. And so he comes over and unlocks the door and uh, says, Hi, I'm George Clinton. Can I help you? 
the and George I, Clinton the no, musician? No, this is a this George Clinton is a very much beloved Nashville recording engineer. Unfortunately, he passed away a few years ago, and there was a huge article in the Nashville newspaper about him, how much loved he was. Mm -hmm. But I had no idea who he was. So anyway, I, so I, that was my introduction to a recording studio. I'd never been in one, didn't know what one looked like or anything. And George, bless his heart, he, he gave me a tour of the place. Nobody happened to be recording at the time, so we went into big Studio A, the big room with the grand piano and the, the control room that looked like something out of NASA, you know, with all the big uh -huh. controls and everything. And I said, yeah. wow, George, this is, <laughs> this is amazing. I said, how much does a place like this rent for? And he says, well, it's $125 an hour plus engineer. Now, remember, this was 1986. $125 an hour was a lot of money. So I, I guess he thought, well, this is probably not going to work for this guy. So I said, well, what, what else could I do? He said, well, the owner of this studio has another tiny little rest, uh, uh, recording studio across the street, and it's $25 an hour mm. plus engineer. And I, no, I'm sorry, it was $15 an hour, only $15 that's, an hour. But in 1986, wow. that's a steal. So that that a was total. a steal. And I said, okay, George, <laughs> that's my kind of studio. Now, I just need a good piano player that I can have record my song. And he thought for a minute, he says, I think I know just the guy. His name is Gary Prim. Mm -hmm. He and I go to church together. We've known each other forever. He is a wonderful piano studio musician. And so I said, okay, and he looked up his phone number and wrote it on a piece of paper and gave it to me. Well, I went back to the hotel that night and called, first thing I did was call this phone number and got Gary's answering machine. And so when he, uh, I left my number and told him what I wanted. And so in about 30 minutes, my phone rings in the hotel and it's Gary Prim. Hi, Gary, how are you doing? And then he says, how can I help you? I said, well, I've got this little tune that I've written called Rachel's Song, and I need a demo recording made of it. Would, is that something you could do for me? He said, why, sure, Dave. And so he said, just send me uh, a recording of, of you playing it so I'll kind of know how, the, how it goes, the feel for it, and send me a lead sheet. And I said, fine, except what is a lead sheet? Now, remember... <laughs> I had no experience in Nashville with the, the lingo that goes with the music recording industry, and it probably showed that I was totally ignorant of it. But he said, oh, it's just, it's just the melody and the chords. And I said, oh, I've got that written out. I just didn't know what to call it. Uh -huh. so, so I went back home uh, the, at the end of that week. I was working all week in Nashville, and I uh, made, sent him what he needed. And he lined up this little studio across the street that was inexpensive. On a Friday night, August the 22nd, 1986, I'll never forget it, 6 o'clock. And so in, <laughs> in, in walks Gary, and first time I'd ever laid eyes on him, and he had under his arm his synthesizer. He, he had a, a Yamaha DX7 synthesizer. So uh -huh. he walks in, and I, I introduce myself, and he gets settled in in the studio with his synthesizer. And they had the studio had, it was an old, not a really high-class studio. It had an old Yamaha Baby Grand piano. And I later learned that that Baby Grand piano was the first Baby Grand that Yamaha ever shipped to Nashville, Tennessee. So it had some history. 
I would love to know how many of those famous piano players played on that old piano. Yeah. But anyway, that was the piano that was in the studio. And so Gary sits down at the piano and I'm in the, the control room with the engineer. And so I'm, you know, behind this soundproof glass window. You can see uh -huh. through that, but you can hear him on the, the monitor speakers. And so I'm sitting there, I'm standing there listening to Gary warm up on the piano. And he says, okay, I'm ready to roll. So the engineer pushes the record button on the tape recorder and Gary starts to play. And I am blown away by what I hear. His arrangement, which of course I recognize the song, but... His style of playing it is just so much, so many levels above what I play is amazing. And he got about halfway through it and he goes on the piano and he said, let's, let's do it over. Let's rewind it. I can do better than that. So he mm -hmm. rewound the tape, push record. This time he went all the way through to the end. No mistakes. <laughs> I mean, when, <laughs> these, these Nashville studio musicians are amazing how they can play something that's a three or four minute song and not miss a single note, not a one. I know, yeah, And so he, yeah. he finished that and then he says, well, Dave, I, I'd like to add some electric piano to, to they call it doubling. He was gonna mm -hmm. double what he did on the piano on the keyboard mm -hmm. to give it an, an extra, some extra texture or extra depth to the, the songs. So he puts on the headset to hear himself play on the original on the piano like your headset and then he sits at his keyboard and plays along with himself on two more tracks and uh -huh. he is able to nail exactly what he played on the piano I mean it was they, musicians call it tight it was tight it was the, uh -huh. the, the beats were right on no uh, no miscuing at all amazing and so he finished that and I thought, wow this is sounding unbelievable he says well I'm not done he said, I think we need some strings. Let's, let's add a little depth to this recording. So he switches to the string sound on his synthesizer and rewind it back, had two more tracks, put on the headset. Now he's listening to the other recording and he adds the high strings, some really nice high strings on, the, on there. And then he said, well, I think we need to add some low strings to give it some bottom. And so he, we back it up, two more tracks, record the, the low strings go all the way through that he said and then now the song i had written it and played it in just in the key of c he arranged it with playing it the, the verse and the chorus twice in the key of c and then a i think it was a stroke of genius the way he he trans uh, transposed it up a half a step to the key of d flat instantly there was no there's no modulation to it it was when you hear the recording of Rachel's song it'll go da 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 bum and it goes right into d flat and it gives it so much it, it almost gives you chills when you listen to it because your your energy level is rising and then it boom you go into a whole new higher key and I thought wow this is amazing so he said I want to put some horns in there so he added some you know uh, some <laughs> transition horns to get you ready for this this key change so he did that and he said well I think that's it well that only took him about 45 minutes to, to do all that <laughs> and so I said this so you is got, just you got a bargain yeah, oh, I, I mean I reckon do you, so, do, you, do you think that a transposing part of that into B flat is what -flat. makes this song Oh, well, it's D flat. I said D flat. Yeah. D. 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 D up D. from C to up to D flat. D flat. D, D as in David. Yeah, I saw the sheet music. I saw it oh, in okay. D flat. 
Yeah. yeah. You know, I, I've been thinking uh, there's there's a lot of reasons. I would love to know uh, some psychological, musical psychology analysis of the song as to what makes it so great. Because that was song... my question for you. Yeah, Mary. Yeah, I had yeah. that question. That was what I wanted to ask you. I, people um, ask whether... me that, and I ask myself that a lot. You know, it, it's it's one of those things where music is such a, uh, a almost a seventh sense. You know, you you have our six senses, but music is another thing, and it just affects people in different ways. And and maybe that key change was was a part of the key to its, uh, its success and the fact that people want to hear it again and again and again and again. Yeah, you've had thousands of listener responses. Can you talk about that? Yeah, they. You know, once I got that recording made at, from Gary, you know, of course I was completely blown away with it. And when I played it for people that had radio stations uh, or programs on the radio. They were blown away with it as well. It got played on the radio by a friend of mine who had a radio program the next Saturday after I got home. Mm-hmm. And when it, as soon as it was played on that FM station, the station manager called me at home and said, Dave, I've been in radio for over 20 years, and this has never happened to me, ever. He said, when Rachel's song came on the radio, the phone bank at the radio station lit up. I mean, people were calling in from everywhere saying, what is the name of that song? Will you play that song again? Tell me more about that song and that guy Combs from Winston-Salem. So, you know, that was when I think it really dawned on me. I know it affected me and it affected my wife and everybody that we had played it for. But then is when I realized that this song needs a life of its own it's it's going to go places it's going to do something and it needs to get out there it this is like uh you know you don't want to put your candle light under a basket i think the the analogy goes you yeah, under get, a bushel you, under a bushel this has got to go <laughs> yeah so that's you that's know i, I wanted to ask you do you mm-hmm. know the medical connection between instrumental music and health and wellness you know, I have I have done a lot of research on that. I've, well, yeah. you know, searching for medical articles and research articles. There are tons of. If you'd go on to the, what is it, uh, Google Science, or there's a there's a way to research medical journal articles. There are tons of them that basically have documented that instrument listening to inter- instrumental music like mine mm-hmm. will lower could lower your blood pressure, lower your heart rate. It reduces stress levels, and you know they always used to say that stress was the silent killer. So I really think that reducing people's stress levels really does affect their health. And mm-hmm. uh, I know it from anecdotally from all the letters I've gotten, but I just know from my own self when I'm really stressed or whatever, I put my my headset on, my, my earbuds, and I'll put on my, my some of my music or some other music I really enjoy, and it just takes you to a different place and. And all of a sudden, I, things are just calmed down. It's true. I actually meditated to Rachel's song this morning. You did? Uh, well, well, great. I did. Can <laughs> I ask you, and I don't know how it'll play over Zoom, and we're on Zoom. Uh, I'd like to tell that to our listeners. I don't, I'd love to hear just a few bars of Rachel's song.
Hear the doubling of the piano? Uh-huh. Beautiful. I, it, it's just, uh, I, I never get tired of listening to it. I know it's my song, and, <laughs> but uh, it's funny. Of course I you had, don't. <laughs> <laughs> now, you I told us one. a little bit about how the, the first guy played it, but how did you get your music played on radio stations all over the country then? Well, you know, but this is now this is pre-internet and pre-Google. Yeah. There's, there's no way in the world I had it access to instantly know where all these radio stations were. I found out that there was a publication called, I think it was called Radio and Records, R&R. Yes. And it mm -hmm. was, it had, you could uh, subscribe to it. And part of the service was they would send you a list of all the radio stations in the entire country by format. Mm -hmm. So I, there were, I think at the time there were maybe 400 easy listening radio station formats mm -hmm. in the country. Now today you can count them on one hand probably, mm -hmm. but back then there were 400 of them. And so I had the names, the program director, the phone number. And so I would start calling and uh, first Good product, uh, I, I ended up having to make a 45 vinyl record of Rachel's song because I all, mm -hmm. all I had was my cassette tape. Uh, there was no mm -hmm. way a, a cassette tape just wouldn't do to send to a radio station. Mm -hmm. So I went back to Nashville and had 45 records made of Rachel's song on both sides. They called it a double A single. Rachel's song was on the A and the B side. Uh -huh. So I would send these 45 records to these radio stations that I would call and talk to the program director and tell him what I'd done. And he they, they always would accept the record. Then I'd follow up later and say, how, how did you like it? Oh, they loved it. They liked it as much as the first one did. So I, I did that over and over and over. And then finally, you know, some of the radio stations I would call and they said, well, you know, we don't do our own programming. We use a service out of Chicago. It's called Bonneville Broadcasting. Ah, yes. I said, oh, OK, well, tell me about that. So I, I in, found out that there was a easy listening program director for Bonneville Broadcasting. Got a hold of him. I wish I remembered his name. He's since passed away, but he loved Rachel's song. I sent it to him. He loved it. And he put it on all 200 of the radio stations that they programmed. So oh. I suddenly went from, you know, maybe 20 or 30 radio stations to 200 and some. And then it just spread like wildfire over the whole country. And I was the number one requested song in Los Angeles, Atlanta, Baltimore, you know, all over the country. And funny story, even in St. Louis, Missouri, I got a phone call one time from the program director at KEZK Radio in St. Louis. And he said, Dave, we've been running a contest like we do every year of all of our, we want to know who our favorite artists are from our listeners. And he said, we, we surveyed a bunch of people and, and he said, well, we've picked, we're going to invite five artists to come to St. Louis and do a concert, a free concert. And it's going to be outdoors in Booter Park with 25 plus thousand people coming up, come for free. I said, wow. Well, he said, and you're one of the five. Oh, really? And this blew me away. First of all, you know, here I am. I've never had any notoriety with my music at all. And I said, who are the other four? And he said, well, there's the Letterman. There's the Association. There's Don McLean oh, and, a, and a guy you may have heard of called George Benson. Oh. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I my word. What is this? How can this be? So sure enough, they flew me and my wife out to St. Louis and we did this open air concert. And I was first on the program and the lettermen were right behind me. 
and we stayed at, they put us, they limoed us out to the place. They treat us like royalty. And we stayed in the same hotel with the letterman and actually got to have breakfast with them and got to know the letterman really well. And they are still good friends of ours. Every time they right. come anywhere close, Linda and I go see the letterman and catch up with them. Oh, they are, right. we could, they're just wonderful people and certainly fabulous musicians. That's so, such a anyway, great story. I so love that, that was story. my that was a, a, a radio thing, or my radio story. That's such a great story. And then you also marketed your music to gift shops. And how did you figure out which gift shops to target? Well, again, I'd like to take credit for that, but I really can't because it is one of those other things that kind of happened, uh, not by accident, I'm sure it was delivered on some some higher powers part, but I did not plan this. I was working at AT&T at the time and still trying to promote my music on the radio and whatever. And a, a lady that I worked with had a, her best friend owned a gift shop in Old Town, Alexandria called America. It sold Americana, patriotic kind of things. It was on King Street. If you've ever been to Old Town, Alexandria, King Street's packed with gift shops and wonderful shops. And so um, she said, can I give a CD of Rachel's song to Jane, my, my friend? I said, well, sure. I gave her one and, and I didn't think much about it. But next thing I know, I get a phone call from Jane, the owner, the owner of the shop. And she says, Dave, um, you need to sell me some of these CDs of Rachel's song and cassette tapes. Back then it was cassette tapes, too. And I said, really? She said, yeah, every time your song comes on on my CD changer, she said, I've got a five CD changer and it's John Philip Sousa, all kinds of patriotic, big oom pa pa music. And then here comes Rachel's song. She said, everybody in the shop just kind of goes, whoop, what is that music that's playing? And they go over to the counter and say, hey, have you got that? What is that's playing? I want to take it home. And she didn't have it to take <laughs> to sell to yeah. them. So she says, will you sell me some? And, it, and I had never sold any of my, my music at retail or at wholesale to a retailer yet. And she, so we reached an agreement on the price. And that night, my wife and I boxed up a box of CDs and tapes and took them down to Old Town Alexandria. We were living in Maryland at the time. Uh -huh. And so we, I took them to her. And so about three or four days later, the phone rings again. Dave, this is Jane. Uh, I'm, I'm out. Uh, can you send me some more, uh, maybe tonight? And how about doubling the order? I Whoa. said, okay. okay. <laughs> All right. You know, Linda and I made, <laughs> we made that trip every week, probably for a year and a half or so. It, and she sold so thousands fun. and thousands of albums. So that was, that was when the light bulb came on that the, the proper place to play and sell my music was in a gift shop environment where people come in and it's a relaxing Beautiful yeah. place, smells good, looks good, and now it sounds good. Well, your new book is called Touched by the Music. Yes. And what prompted you to write it, and what is it all about? Well, it's a compilation of these stories that I've been telling you tonight. Oh. If you like, it, the, the ones yeah. I've told you are in the book. And, mm -hmm. I, you know, I had, uh, from all those radio airplay, and eventually I was in, got it in a thousand gift shops all over the country, so I had literally thousands and thousands of fans that lo loved my music. And I started getting mail from my, my fans as well. And another thing that happened was an article I wrote in Guidepost magazine about my story of writing Rachel's song, that very touching story of how it got its name and all that, is in this 1994 September oh, right. is issue of Guidepost. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. Well, this little magazine, you may know, goes to about two or three million people in the subscriber list. I mean, it is huge. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those little magazines where they don't throw, you, nobody throws guideposts away because it's full of ah. wonderful stories that you just, you can't bring yourself to throw it away. Well, soon as that magazine hit the street with my article in it, my phone started ringing because they put my phone number in the back of the magazine. Oh, dear. Really? Oh, never <laughs> happened today. Well, oh, no, it probably goodness. wouldn't. But, no. but they put my address and phone number oh. and said, if you want, if oh, you want a Rachel song, you know, it's $10 for a tape and 14 for a CD, and here's his address and phone number. Well, I could tell you to the minute when this little magazine hit the street because my 800 <laughs> number at Combs Music started ringing, and I would pick it up, and somebody wanted, I read this in my guidepost. Can you send me a... Here's my credit card. Can you send me a, a CD or a, a tape of Rachel's song? You did all that but, by yourself? You answered well, each phone I, call? I, I had one employee, an office manager. Her name is Betsy. And so it was me and my wife and Betsy. And so I just was, you know, I would answer the phone a while. Betsy would answer it. And Linda would answer it sometimes. But it rang and it rang. And you didn't even have to. To, you didn't even have to wait for it to ring. You could pick it up and somebody would be there. That's how many people, <laughs> I have no idea how many people got a busy signal. But I had to hire two people, two ladies, to help me do nothing but answer the phone. And, well, then you uh, had to ship them too. Yeah. And address all the envelopes. Oh, man. We, you know, all it was literally hundreds of orders a day that, you know, I'd, I'd make two or three trips to the post office a day with my car back seat, front seat, trunk full of these bins full of, of, of envelopes with the, mm -hmm. the CDs and tapes in them. And, right, um, right. and so it was, it was totally amazing what that, now that, that really started, I, my mailman in about two days came ringing my front doorbell and I went to the door and I, he's standing there and he's, he's got this big old canvas bag by his side. He said, Dave, here's your mail. I said, really? He said, I can't even pick it up. He said, it, it, this is, thing is full of letters to you. And I said, he said, what have you done? <laughs> I told him about the article and guideposts, and he kind of chuckled, and it, it, that went on for several days. I heard from over 10,000 people in oh less than two, two weeks. I mean, the phone kept ringing. The mailman kept dragging the mail in. Linda, my wife, and I stayed up all night that night just zipping open the mail that came in. I mean, not reading it, just open it up, pull the, the, the and almost all of them had either a check or a $10 bill in there for the, they wanted the, the music. I bet you gave up your job at AT&T. Well, not quite yet. Well, that, I had, all, yes, at that point I had already done that, but that was a couple of years earlier that I was able to do that. My, the gift shop sales had enabled me to do that. But in terms of fans and, and getting mail from people, Boy, this little magazine really <laughs> shows you the power of publicity. It is just amazing. That's uh -huh. very good advice for entrepreneurs. Do you have other advice for them? Yeah, well, that's kind of the, the, the thing that uh, today, in today's world, you need to find ways to promote your, your product, yourself, your company. And one of the ways to do it is exactly through what we're doing right now, through podcasts. You know, there are there. I think somebody told me there's like one point million podcasts around the, the world. It's a mm -hmm. it's a very crowded place. Yeah, I think even more it's than like that. Two two point five now. I oh, think. Oh my goodness! Yeah, so, that just you know, happened it's... yesterday. I'm sure it changed. It'll be three point five tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I find it to be a really good medium for with the video and talking and and you know I love meeting folks like you all. It's it's just so much fun to just 
have a, a really good conversation about things and, and let, the, let the listeners just eavesdrop on our conversation. People that are pro trying to start an entrepreneurial business of any kind, you need to focus on not just marketing through your standard advertising channels or that kind of thing. You need to think about how can I get the word out about my product and service through any kind of channel, especially those that don't cost you anything that are publicity, you know, podcasts, a newspaper, get a, get a reporter that's in your hometown to write a big two page spread on how this local boy is made good or whatever and, and get publicity. So there is, you know, when I say, say the value of publicity, this was, I didn't, didn't cost me anything to have that article in guideposts mm -hmm. and just look what resulted from it. It was just totally yeah. amazing. And nowadays, all the marketing people use Instagram for yes. all their business to grow their business. Yeah, and uh, LinkedIn. So and, yeah. Tell us about how the move to digital streaming of music has changed your music business. Well, as business. you can imagine, when we went from cassette tapes in the early 80s to CDs that began late 80s, and then through the 90s, CDs kind of really took over and, and cassettes went away. And then about late 90s is when the digital world, the internet, began to take over. And you remember the company called Napster. And it was basically, oh, yeah. oh it, was, it just about put the nail in the coffin for music because they were stealing intellectual property, stealing music from people, copying it and, and giving it away for free. Well, mm -hmm. free is not a very good business model. No. <laughs> put no. it that way. You cannot make a living giving things away. And us mm -hmm. musicians that write music, produce music, and so forth, were really hurt by this attitude of the young people that, why should I pay $15 for an album? I can go on Napster and get it for free. Well, mm -hmm. that attitude really did kind of, it didn't go away. And it wasn't until Apple came along with iTunes in the early 2000s to basically reintroduce paying for music. Now, it wasn't a lot. You know, 99 cents a song is not a whole lot. That's you got 15 songs on an album. Yeah, that's about 15. That's about what it would cost if you used to buy an album. Mm -hmm. And yeah. of course, uh, the artists and the musicians don't get all of that 99 cents. So there's middle people that get a cut of that. But anyway, that kind of changed the model from giving it away, at least to where you have a chance to sell your product through a download. Mm -hmm. And so we, we went from a physical world to a digital world. And so Apple was one of the was the first probably, and then you you come along with Pandora and Spotify, iHeartRadio, uh, all of these streaming uh, facilities uh -huh. that will stream music now. And so music has gone from physical to downloads to now the pre predominant method is streaming. People will simply say to their their box, "Hey, so and so, play Dave Combs music." Well, in about a second or two, here comes some of my music playing over your speakers. And yeah. they don't even have to think about buying an album. And, and so sometimes these services pay the composers and sometimes they don't. That's right. And even those you'll be, maybe you won't be surprised, but I get a, a statement from Spotify, from CD Baby, from Apple Music, uh, Amazon, all these places that stream my music now. I get a statement every month how much, how many times my music's been streamed, and it's in the millions. And I get paid 0.2 pennies per play. 0.2. 0.2. Oh so in terms of dollars, it's 0 
and it is hard. <laughs> it's hard. Hundreds, yes. <laughs> it, it is Two hard. Thousands. To, it's hard to, to make a lot of money when you're only paid that small amount. Now, oh, sure yeah, enough, yeah, the yeah. you know the big artists that get the the play in the tens of millions and so forth. Yeah, they're going to get a pretty good check. But artists like myself, that where it's uh, not that big a number, it's it's a it's hard to make a living. You know, if I had to start over today and do my music business like I did back in the '80s. I, there is no way in the world I could could make a go of it. There's no way in the world I could have quit my job. Certainly, you're all so over I, YouTube as well. Yes, uh, yes, and so I have taken advantage of every digital medium that I can think of because I'm also a photographer. I love taking beautiful pictures, and so I've from the beginning. I've as soon as YouTube came available, I started putting my photography up and putting my music behind it because I own both of the you know the the rights to mm -hmm. do that. So I created, in fact, when you go on YouTube and look at the earliest Rachel song recording of, of that has the, uh, the, st the little statements, statements and notes from my fans played on it, that was done, that was, one, that was the first video I ever did. And that's been mm -hmm. a long, long time ago. So YouTube is a great um, platform for playing your music and and putting your any any of your material out, you know, certainly your podcasts are out on on YouTube. And so I I post on my website. And, and by the way, I I created a website since my background was computers and technology. As soon as I found out about www dot whatever, uh -huh. I create I created my own website, Combs Music, back in nineteen ninety five, and that was before Good for you. That's early. Nobody even knew what www stood for. <laughs> but I figured I figured it out and I taught myself how to do the HTML programming and created the, my first website. And it's been there ever since. Now, it's been updated since then with WordPress and, and the latest technology. But uh -huh. but I have I have had a website for a long time and I try to keep up with today's technology, too, with you know, what's going on with with the whole world of digital and downloads and streaming. Uh -huh. Yeah, you are you are the engineer. <laughs> yeah. Um, what would you like our listeners to take away from our conversation today? Well, well, number one, I hope they will take away an urge that they can't resist to go listen to Rachel's song. And if they, if they don't want to download the, their copy and purchase it for their put it on their phone or whatever, at least go and, and listen to it on uh, streaming or on YouTube and whatever. And I think that when they do that and listen to it in the right environment, don't, you know, don't just play it while, you know, the TV's on and your kids are running around and everything's so noisy, put a headset on or something so that you can basically close your eyes and let the music flow through you. And I think you will find that you will love listening to that over and over and over. And I also surely hope that people will, I'd be curious enough to go and check my book out. It's on Amazon and anywhere books are sold. You can go to a Barnes and Noble, any place and, and order it. But uh, and you, it'll come in a day or two. It's very quick, quick response turnaround. Mm -hmm. But my book is full of stories about how I went from that one song to my 15 albums. And chapter 21 in my book is one that you will want to read over and over because it is a compilation of some of the best notes and letters that I got telling me about my music. Now, some people have told me it's a one or two Kleenex box chapter. <laughs> so the stories are really touching. I mean, when you read that somebody tells you that my music 
you saved my life and they are elaborating on it or you I played this at the at my loved one's passing and oh. they loved your music or or someone in, that was in the hospital that used to play the piano but was in a coma but when they played Rachel's song you could see their fingers playing the music on the bed sheet really wow. as a, a person That's that was great. dying so it's those kind of stories that just it still gives me chills to even talk about them because they're so touching and so that's why I named my book Touched by the Music, because it really is a touching set of music. And I'm so blessed that I was the fortunate one that was able to bring this music into the world. Well, I, I know our guests will listen to Rachel's song, and certainly I hope they will buy your book, Touched by the Music. Our guest today on Late Boomers has been Dave Combs, songwriter, entrepreneur, and author of Touched by the Music, and composer of Rachel's song, and many others. Please visit his website, combsmusic.com, that's C-O-M-B-S music.com, for all his offerings. Thank you so much, Dave. Well, thank you, Mary and Kathy. You've both been a delight to talk with, and this has been a real pleasure, and I'm honored that you had me on today. Thank you so much. Thanks. And we'd love our listeners to drop us a line by visiting our website, lateboomers.biz, B-I-Z, and follow us on Instagram on our Late Boomers account and our individual accounts at I am Kathy Worthington and at I am Mary Elkins. Our aim with this podcast is to serve, entertain, and inspire you. Thanks again, Dave. Thank you. I appreciate it. for joining us on Late Boomers, the podcast that is your guide to creating a third act with style, power, and impact. Please visit our website and get in touch with us at lateboomers.biz. If you would like to listen to or download other episodes of Late Boomers, go to ewnpodcastnetwork.com. This podcast is also available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and most other major podcast sites. We hope you make use of the wisdom you've gained here and that you enjoy a successful third act with your own style, power, and impact. Calling all speakers. E-Women Network has speaking engagements all over North America that must be filled. Are you a gifted messenger, author, expert, or successful entrepreneur that can help women entrepreneurs grow their businesses? Our mission is to help one million fulfilled women each achieve one million dollars in annual revenue. If you're a speaker that can help women prosper, go to eWomenNetwork.com and sign up as a pro member of our Speakers Network. That's eWomenNetwork.com. Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating one million dollars in annual revenue. So, here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. 
It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven-module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for listening. This is the EWN Podcast Network.